yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. Yes, I've been washed by the blood. Thank you. We want to welcome everyone to our morning service here at the Boomville Church of Christ. Thank you for being here and being part of our service this morning. We come together today to worship the Lord, and we'll be doing that in just a few minutes. A couple things that we need to be thankful for. We live in a community that has a great church, and our church family reaches out to this community in many ways. This Sunday morning, we have three of our men that are preaching at area uh, congregations. Brother Jim is at the Theo congregation out of Corinth. Stephen Hodgen is filling in, doing the gospel meeting this week at Snowdown. He's a last-minute fill-in, and he'll be at Snowdown through Tuesday night. Also, Adam Carlson is preaching this morning at the Belmont congregation. So we are truly blessed to have people that can go out and preach the Word of God. One other thing that we would like to do a little differently today, we've been asked to remember Will Tennyson. I know we all remember Will. He's one of the uh, Boonville High School students that's been battling cancer for the last year or so. He'll be going Friday back to St. Jude to have scans. And his family is asking us to be in prayer for him this week, that those scans will come back showing that he's free of cancer. This morning we want to take uh, just a minute to offer up a special prayer. And the Brother Aaron Foster is coming to lead that prayer for us. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we on bended knees approach your throne this morning. And of course, we are so thankful for all that you do for us. And we are so very thankful that you give us this avenue to, to lift you up, to praise you, to speak to you. And Father, to specifically pray for individuals who need you and families who need you. And we're so extremely thankful that we know that your hands are on all these situations, even though we may not know exactly what to pray for or how to pray. We serve an amazing God and a great God who loves us and takes care of us, and we're thankful for that. Father, we pray specifically, and I've been asked to lead this congregation in prayer specifically on behalf of the Tennysons. Father, we ask you to be with Will specifically. We ask you to be with his parents. We ask you to be with Brad and Ginger, his sisters, Molly and Lauren. 
Father, this situation has been trying over the last year or so for them. And as they found a spot last month and now we're going back to confirm or to see what that is, we just pray for your hand to be upon all those who are serving and ministering to them and the doctors and the nurses. And Father, specifically, we just pray that whatever your will is, that it'll happen. Of course, that's our prayer. And if it be your will that that cancer is gone, of course, that is our prayer. And Father, that's what we pray for this morning. Father, be with all of us as we serve that family and we support that family. And then Father, as uh, we start our worship here to you in just a moment, we have so many others who need you here at this congregation. And of course, we wanna make sure that our hearts and minds are lifting them up as well at this moment to you. But as we close this prayer, we wanna make sure you know how thankful we are. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. First song this morning is going to be Come Let Us Worship and Bow Down, 153. The guys are switching spots up there. They were running through some technical difficulties. Brant got them going, though. 153, Come Let Us Worship and Bow Down. Come let us worship and bow down. God our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his
Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thanking you for this day, this first day of the week that you've provided us to assemble and worship you. And we just thank you for the blessing us with good song leaders, good preachers, teachers. Just thankful for each member and the work that each does. And just pray that you'll be with us and help us all to do better, to spread your word and encourage others and do good in your name. <clears throat> and Father, just pray that you'll be with Brother Ken as he brings us a lesson of your word today. Help us to listen attentive and understand it that we might be able to live closer to you as we go through life each day. And Father, we pray that you'll be with our many sick and our midst, especially be with those in the household of faith, and be with those who care for them. And just pray that they'll know the right things to do to help them have a greater portion of hell. And Father, we're much thankful for young people and their interest in learning your word and thankful for those that encourage them and teach them. We just pray that we'll have a greater, stronger congregation as we go through each week. And Father, just help us to always be mindful of the things we need to do in your name and be watchful of the things we think on and say and let them be according to your teaching. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to mark your hymnal, uh, number 926, What Will You Do With Jesus will be our song of invitation, number 926. Uh, before we are led in our thoughts for the, the hour, we'll have number 643. Are you sowing the kingdom? Uh, would you stand with me, please? Sowing the seed of the kingdom. Are you sowing the seed of the kingdom?
I'll be reading this morning from Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Judges 2, verses 7 through 10. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had all seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was in the hundred and ten years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnaheres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaesh. When all that generation had been gathered to the fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Thanks, Field. Good morning, everyone. It's terrific to see you today. Listen, I got a call from Joanne Roberts this morning. And she said that Ben is still having a real struggle getting over the treatment that he had for his massive kidney stone. And she wanted us praying for him and for her and that he can get back on the right track and do better. And so we want to we satisfy that. And I really appreciate so much this congregation being led to pray for Will Tennyson and so many others of you, we have taken your names to the throne of God. And I look out and I see people that we prayed for are back and it's just history, the circumstance they went through. And aren't we, aren't we so grateful for a God who hears our prayers and who acts on our behalf? It's just such an inspiring thing for all of us. We're striving to serve him and to know that he is so watchful and so attentive to our concerns. So we're going to pray about that. And I would be amiss if I didn't say thank you to this congregation for the financial response you made last Sunday with regard to, of all things, our debt reduction. I know that's not a sensational kind of topic, but you responded in a, a powerful way. And I just think in terms of the context of the sermon that was preached, what could we actually accomplish if we would everywhere looking, so to speak, for vessels to fill up? Would there be anything that could stop us if God's with us? The answer is no. <laughs> Nothing can stop us if God is with us. Yes, yes. All right, let's have a prayer and we're going to pray for a couple of things. We, we have taken Will's name to the Father. We're going to remember the Roberts here as they have requested. And then we're going to pray about what we're about to enter into, our study of God's Word. And it's my prayer that I can communicate to you what I've prepared in a way that you can use. And then I also know that, you know, I can be a hindrance maybe to that. So I'm praying that despite me, that you can get exactly what you need from God's word today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the blessing of today, for the incredible 
privilege to assemble in freedom and to worship in spirit and in truth. We have been attentive to that already this morning and now we've entered into another phase of that. I know that there are inherent distractions in a grouping of people like this, but I pray, Lord, that you'll help our minds and our spirits to transcend all the obstacles that are around us and that we can really focus on what's needful today. And I just pray, especially today, you'll help us to be mindful of the part that we play in this generation, this one generation right here, to be able to propagate the gospel and to inspire, to equip a new generation. Help us to be really serious about that. I pray, Lord, you'll help me as a communicator to, well, communicate in the very best way that makes it possible for people to really hear you. And then I pray, Lord, that you'll be with those who are hearing your word today, that it will find its place in them and that it will affect whatever change is necessary, however small or great. Just motivate us, Lord, to participate in the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, you can see the title of the sermon today, The Power of One Generation. Our general theme throughout the year is the power of one. And we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I'm confident that that is true. But what I'm stressing here today is, is in, some ways, in some ways tapping into the commitment that you're going to be as the one. And then the idea of using yourself as a resource joined with everybody else to make up a generation of people who take very seriously the responsibilities that God has laid upon us. A generation of people on the ragged edge of time. No one's gone further in time than us. The most modern of people who have ever lived on the planet that God will help us in this generation right here to set the course for a new generation. I know that this next statement is going to sound sensational, but I'm going to prove to you that it is absolutely the truth. Here is a fact. The church, us, us along with many others who have obeyed the gospel have been added to the church by the Lord. But I'm mostly concerned about those of us who meet here in Boonville. The church, us, this church here in Boonville in particular, is only one generation away from apostasy. Maybe that last word you're not familiar with. I don't know. Apostasy means abandonment or renunciation of a belief. The abandonment, the renunciation of the faith. Now that can happen a lot of ways. It can just be an outright rejection of it or it can be a watering down of it so much that it's not really what it started out to be. We could have people still meeting here, but... 
not the church, not as it's described in the scriptures. So either way, whether it's total abandonment, there's nothing here anymore, or whether it is a watering down of the truth such that we're not really identifiable as the church anymore, the church, if this generation doesn't take their role seriously, is only one generation away from apostasy. So that means that you and I, we have got to take seriously the application of ourselves in this generation, that we use the power of one generation, our generation, to assure that subsequent generations know the Lord and the work that he has done. That's what we are going to try today to deal with. Now, we're going to begin in this text, which actually kicks off and sets the stage for the study of the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 2, we're just kind of gathering up the landscape and getting our perspective as we're going to look at basically 300 years of the rule of Judges and the effort that God is making to bring back a people that have subjugated themselves because of their unfaithfulness, their unbelief to foreign nations all around them. So we're going to look at one generation that has gone wrong. Joshua died when he was 110 years old, according to verse 8 that Field read for us a moment ago. 110 years old, and boy, he had seen a lot of things, and he had been effective in a lot of different areas. Some of the more obvious things. He was the one who had led the children of Israel out of their wilderness wandering, crossed over the Red Sea, and entered into the Promised Land. He was their singular leader following after the incredible work that Moses had done, but unfortunately was unable to complete in leading them to the Promised Land. Joshua did that. Joshua was also, during the course of time that Moses was effective, was the leader of the armies of Israel. And now as they entered into the promised land, he was the leader of those armies. He was quite the military leader and force, but he always put his faith and his trust in the Lord for deliverance. And then finally, I mean... Who wouldn't say this about Joshua? Joshua was a tremendous example of faith and obedience to the God of heaven. Now, according to our text, Joshua dies, but there are still people from that last generation that he had led who had seen all of these marvelous works of the Lord. And so they could still talk about what God had done. They had been eyewitnesses of it. They had been through these things with Joshua. And so even though Joshua was not there, they could still speak of it. They had the experience. They could speak with authority. I saw it happen. But, but then that generation died. And Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that another generation rose up. 
who did not know the Lord, nor the work that he had done for Israel. Now, because there is a gap, even though there had been several generations of people who had been faithful, the last of which was led by Joshua and a lingering effect of faithfulness into a next generation, despite all of that faithfulness that had been bound up in that one people, no doubt felt great about themselves. Look at us going out here and taking possession of the land that God had promised us. Wow, God is with us. But somehow or other, the next generation had failed to do the same. And because of that, now there's a generation who doesn't know God. And the result of that, according to verses 11 and 12 of Judges chapter 2, the text says that the people, they became evil. And they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And not only that, but this sad commentary on God's people, God's chosen people, the people that he had set apart from everybody else on the world, the Bible says that they forsook the Lord God who had led them out of captivity in Egypt. They forsook him. But do not think that that went unnoticed. Because there is a divine response to what has happened. And verse 14 tells us that the anger of the Lord was hot. As a result of that, the Lord delivered his people into the hands of plunderers. And he sold them as slaves to the nations round about them, to their enemies. So much so, the commentary says, that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Now, I want to make just three observations of what we've considered thus far. The first thing is, is positive. So long as the people had the knowledge of God, oh man... They were faithful, they were obedient, and they were blessed. But without the knowledge of God, they were ignorant, they were unbelieving, and they were punished. So a third observation, it's really for you and me, and that is just from the standpoint of history, the results and the response of God, you and I ought to feel a very strong sense of responsibility to the next generation, that we are not those people who fail to share the knowledge of God and His works. Because if we do, then the result will be a new generation of people who are ignorant of God and who do not know about God's saving message and ultimately of the hope of heaven someday. Now here's what I want to impress on us 
in a, in a big and heavy way. I keep saying the next generation, the next generation. Oh, a generation rose up. You know who those people are. Like, let's bring it down here to where we are. The people I'm talking about for me, I'm talking about my own children. I'm talking about my grandchildren. You know, it's not like I'm talking about some ubiquitous, kind of unknown, nebulous sort of group that's just sitting out there. There's a bunch of them, but I don't really know who they are. Kind of foggy. It's not that. The next generation for me personally are the people that I love more than anything in this world. God help us not to be the generation that fails to tell their own children about the saving acts of God. Let's be sure that we take seriously the responsibility that we have. Now, interestingly enough, when you come to the New Testament scriptures, the Apostle Paul just absolutely nails this idea. It is the exact word from God that we need to hear. It was something that actually Paul had said to Timothy as he was preparing him for his work of ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul says, And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now watch that. That is the generational responsibility of carrying the gospel. My generation to the next generation to the next generation and on and on it goes. Now, I can't speak to how it's going to be several generations down the road. All I can do is speak to what is right now. Yes, we're speaking to ourselves. What do I need to do as a part of this generation to see to it that no subsequent generation falls through the cracks. Well, for one thing, we must apply ourselves in terms of the power of one generation, our generation, to the next generation. Absolutely committed to the next generation. Well, you'll see here in this text from 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 that there are actually four generations mentioned. Paul says the things that you, speaking to Timothy, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, right there, four generations. Paul, Timothy, faithful, and then others who obviously are faithful as well. And the idea is he didn't have to just keep saying that on and on and on. It's the perpetuation of the continued teaching of the truth faithfully communicating it from one generation to the next generation, making certain that there are no gaps. Paul says we've got to be very serious about that work. It makes sense because that's the Lord's plan for continuing the propagating of the gospel. When Jesus was leaving ascending to the Father, He's done all of His work, He's completed it, now He's getting ready to hand off the 
the continued work of the kingdom, the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost, establishment of the church, and it going to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So be it. This is the plan. Not only to preach the gospel and make disciples, but then teach them to do the same things I've commanded you. There it is again. You see that? Jesus brings a gospel message to these disciples. They're going to go and they're going to preach that, make disciples. And the idea is we're just going to keep sharing it, keep teaching it over and over and over again. As long as there are lost people, we are seeking them out so that they can know the truth and be saved. That is the Lord's plan. In fact, not only is it his plan, (laughs) it is his only plan. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, now, I don't know if you've thought about it this way. Sometimes people look at that text and they say, well, here's the outline of the book of Acts. And it is. But it's also a kind of general outline from which those who were going to preach the gospel, who were going to carry the gospel to the whole world, the plan of attack. But I'm going I'm to tell you there's more to it than that. So Acts chapter 1 verse 80 says you're going to begin here in Jerusalem. It's going to spread to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Yeah, it is a general plan, but back up from that. It testified to the fact that here was was what God wanted done. Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. But do do you realize, just stop for a moment, they had to commit themselves to that. That wasn't just going to happen by accident. It isn't like, oh, well, you know, we've got Acts chapter 1 verse 8, so boom, that thing's done. No, no. Jesus said, this is what you're going to do. Then those guys had to sign off on that and say, you know what? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Now, it just happens that they were faithful and they were obedient and they did follow that pattern and they did accomplish the carrying of the gospel to the whole world, Colossians 1 verse 23. But please understand that they had to sign on in that generation and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what the Lord has commanded me to do. And so, with the word of the Lord, they went out into all the world. And that word is so powerful. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and following, Paul testifies to its power. He says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So they carry out that message. They don't just give a light pass. They share the message of God with people. And when they did that, they were equipping and maturing people for future generations. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to teach everything I know. And then you carry that as a responsible disciple of Jesus into the next generation. In Romans chapter 10, beginning verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No doubt about it. When the word of God is taken into a person's heart, they're going to develop. But it's got to get there first. Somebody has to say, I'm going to do that. I am going to carry the message of God to this generation. I don't want to be that person who is responsible for a gap. And so they committed themselves in a powerful way to the preaching of that gospel. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, even though there was persecution in Jerusalem that threatened to squash the church, the Bible just simply says that was an opportunity to carry the gospel to the world, Ken, because they went everywhere preaching the word. They weren't scared hiding out in the house. No, when they left Jerusalem, they kept preaching the word of God. And that, among other things, helped the spread of the gospel to the whole world. Because here's something that they knew and something we all ought to know. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 that the seed is the Word of God. When I plant the seed of the Word of God in a willing heart, it is going to bring forth fruit. You cannot miss. All I'm responsible for is carrying that seed. Get that seed out there. Let God take care of the rest. I can't help but think in terms of responsibility this way. Say that... Only one of those disciples that heard Jesus' command to go out into all the world and preach that gospel actually responded to it. Say that only Peter was the one. Maybe it's just Peter standing up in the midst and not anybody else stood there with him. I'm going to tell you that even with that one, God could win the world because God is not going to be stopped. And I remember a text from Esther. Esther chapter 4 and verse 14 Poor Esther's afraid all is lost, right? And who am I? And all of Israel, all of the hope of my people is resting in me. And boy, I'm not so sure about this. Should I risk it all? Mordecai says, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Listen to me. I have very well and fully expect every single person within the hearing of my voice to take this work seriously and to see to it that the gospel is preached in Boonville and that all your friends at least have the opportunity for a seed planting. But I'm just telling you that if you choose not to do it, God's still going to get it done. So why not? Let's just think, wait a minute, maybe it's me. Maybe the Lord has chosen me to be a special special uh, vessel or envoy of the preaching of the gospel in this place. If nobody else will do it, who knows whether I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Yes, let's go. So I know and you know that we have that responsibility in terms of this power that we have as one generation, our generation, to see to it that the next generation hears it. But I would also take that same kind of formula, think about the power of this one generation, and know that it's also to be directed toward the good news. 
We, we have to apply the power that we have as one generation of God-fearing, committed Christians to be sure that it is the good news that is preached. Wait a minute, Kim, why, why do you say it that way? Well, listen to Paul again. And the things that you have heard from me, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these, these what? These things. What things? The things you've heard from me. What would those things be? Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, does that narrow it down? Paul says, whatever it is, you hear it from me, do it. Meditate on it. Make it the major emphasis of thought in your life. And then when you do that, you're not going to walk around feeling a lot of guilt about not having shared the gospel. You are going to have been so committed, guilt is never going to be a component of the mindset that you have. It's not going to be a part of your psychology. You are a committed, dedicated servant of the Lord who is committed to the good news. Here's something that you are not. You are not just a storage tank for the Word of God. You know, come to a Bible class or read your Bible every day or whatever. Just like to gain Bible knowledge. Hey, peace, wonderful. That's terrific. But why are you doing that? Is it just an academic exercise? It is not. The idea is that we fill ourselves up and then we become the conduit or the pipeline through which the gospel is shared to other people. Be the pipeline through which the gospel is shared to somebody else. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am looking so forward. I'm so ecstatic. I'm so happy about coming and preaching that same gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he says, you know what? I'm committed to sharing the gospel with everybody, but now I have a focus. I can't wait to get to Rome and share the gospel with you too. With whom will you share the gospel? Thinking in terms of the next generation, let's do this right now. With whom will you share the gospel? This morning, I wrote down a name on this piece of paper. This is the name of someone that I'm going to be praying about continually with an effort to share the gospel. Ken, don't you want to share the gospel with others? Yes, I will share the gospel at the drop of a hat. But this is the person that I am committing myself to share the gospel with. And what I would like for you to do is to find yourself a scrap of paper and you write yourself a name down too. You be committed, if it takes a lifetime, to see to it that you fill the gap 
you be sure that this person you know that doesn't know the gospel right now, they know it. I can't guarantee they'll obey the gospel. But will you please plant that seed? Will you please take the responsibility yourself to be a part of this one generation, our generation, that is going to be a part of sharing the good news? In John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus said, And I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who are going to believe in me through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one in us. The world may believe that you sent me. The message that we are preaching is not something we just kind of sit around and come up with some fancy anecdotes and just kind of drop a fancy, funny story on somebody to win them. We're just carrying the plain, simple gospel that's been handed down to us to another person with the same hope that as it impacted us, it will impact them. Let's make that commitment to share the gospel with someone Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 and following, for we do not follow cunningly devised fables. Now, what did he mean by that? He says, look, we, we didn't just sit around and imagine the gospel. That gospel was presented to us. And he says, we, we had eyewitness accounts to share with people. We were there on that mountain when God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so he says, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This message that we are sharing, we're committing ourselves to teach that one person, this is not our message, this is God's saving message, the message of the gospel. You and I, we, we ought to feel responsible for the next generation. And we can do our part by sharing that with somebody. We also have to apply the power of one generation to faithful communicators. Now listen to what he said. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, if you're a woman out there in the audience, you're like, what? dodged a bullet right there. He said that the uh, gospel is being sent along by faithful men, so I guess that don't include me. Now, actually, the word men that's translated there comes from the Greek word anthropos, which doesn't specify gender. In other words, faithful people are supposed to teach the faithful word of God. Whether you are a man or a woman, you are vested with a responsibility to share the gospel with somebody. That's a key to reaching the whole world. Okay, so I think about Timothy and his faithfulness. I mean, he is a part of this equation, after all. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. Timothy, live your life in such a way others can look at you and even if they didn't even hear a word just said, they would know something about the, the Lord that you serve. Well, that ought to be inspiration to all of us. We ought to be striving, every single one of us, to serve and live a life for Jesus that is impeccable. And even when we stumble, we can have our sins forgiven through confession. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 7 and following. 
So I'm going to commit myself to being that disciple of Jesus that's absolutely committed to his service. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Or think about the commitment of Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says that he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now we had a whole year series on that very concept. I want to prepare myself so that then I can share it with someone else. I can be a faithful communicator of the Word of God. Men and women faithfully communicating that word. Titus chapter 2, the first nine verses. We'll not go into all of that. That's an entire lesson on its own. But please note that he is addressing older men and older women and young women and young men and bond servants directed toward their masters. Every single one of them had a responsibility to get their own life right and then to share what they know with somebody else. Okay, let's translate that into what we're talking about. Into the next generation. Feeling responsible that others will know. Now I mentioned to you that generation is not just one of those general or nebulous terms out there that we're not quite sure how to identify. Let's make it personal. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about my own children. I'm talking about my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. If I can't be responsible enough to see to it that they know the gospel, then why in the world am I fooling around with anybody else? If I love them more than I love anybody, even my own life, if I don't have the commitment to them, then what in the world are we doing? What am I doing? A parent ought to love their child enough to see to it that they know the gospel and to at least in that way secure that generation of people and, and potentially so inspire them with that truth that they just burn within them to share it with their children, your grandchildren. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, familiar, right? Train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. I asked the question, how were they trained? Well, they were trained seriously. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9, as regarded the, the Ten Commandments and those laws associated with it, parents were to teach their children diligently. They were to teach them when they sat down, when they rose up, when they lied down, when they rise up. They were to teach of them as they walked by the way. They were to teach of them as they had them... Uh, um, on their hands and as frontless between their eyes. They were to write them on the doorposts of the house and the gate. They were committed to the distribution of the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Isn't that it? Children are going to respect their parents if for no other reason than it just seems like all they ever have to say is something related to God. They want to inspire me with God's word, man alive. I love my parents. They want me to go to heaven. I'm going to serve and be respectful of them. But even in that off chance that they're not so respectful, still he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, 
but you strive to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Make sure that this next generation knows the Lord. And even spouses have a responsibility to one another, right? You love one another. You do. You remember that day, you know, when you, maybe you can even mark it out. This is the day I fell in love with you. However that was. You love them so much, but you love them so much that you would do anything in the world for them. But don't you believe that a person who fails to obey the gospel is going to be lost? If you believe that and yet you're not taking responsibility to teach your lost spouse the gospel, then what does that say about you? What does that say about us? Ought we not at the very least share salvation for eternity with the people we say we love the most? And here's something that I will say to you, and I'm sure there are many others who would line up right behind me. If that, is a, if that is a difficulty for you or something that you just can't hardly wrap your mind around, then invite me over for supper. <laughs> you know, I want to share the gospel. I'll be as gentle and honest as I know how to be. But we've got to see to it as a point of responsibility that the next generation knows the Lord. This is true. The church is only one generation away from renunciation of the faith, abandonment of the faith in one form or another. I don't know about you. I don't want to be responsible for that. Do you? Shake your head this way. No, of course not. And if no other church in this country remains faithful, I want this one to be faithful. Yes? The only way that's going to be true is if we individually make that commitment. Let's do that, okay? If you're a child of God, make that commitment right now. You're applying yourself to be a part of this one generation, our generation, to see to it that subsequent generations know the Lord. That's our commitment. We start today and it doesn't end. We'll keep doing it until our time is through. And then we can leave it confidently with the next generation. Yes. If you're a child of God, you feel like you failed in this. You need us to pray with you and encourage you. Today's the kickoff, right? Today can be the first day of that. Then let's get that baggage gone and let's commit it right now. And if you're not a child of God and you're ready to obey the gospel, now's your opportunity. You can respond to it. If anybody needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come right now while we stand and sing. Jesus is standing in Pilate's hall Friendless, forsaken, betrayed by
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
for the Lord's Supper, we'll sing Man of Sorrows. Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God,
As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, enter into this act of worship this morning. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you don't mind, and we'll read a few verses there. Philippians chapter 2. And if anyone needs um, the emblems, please raise your hand, and our ushers will, of course, provide those to you now. This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible for me personally. Um, there's some encouragement to us at the first part of this chapter, and then um, through my studies, someone is called, starting in verse 6, this great parabola. Now, a great parabola took me... When they first said that, I had to think back to school. And a parabola is just a, um, it's just a curve that's symmetric. And, and um, it can start high, and then it goes to this low, and then it goes back high again. And it's a symmetric curve. So when we get down to verse 7 in just a moment, or in verse 6 in just a moment, I want you to picture that as it talks about Jesus and what he has done for us. But we'll start in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only on his own interest, but also the interest of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here it is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the, the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're now going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember his sacrifice and we'll start by remembering his body. So bow with me please. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this moment to get to praise you and worship you. We're thankful for this time as a body of believers that we can come together and, and think about the body of our Savior, your Son, who died on the cross for us. And, of course, our prayer is that we'll think back on that sacrifice and we'll take this in a well-pleasing manner. It's in Christ's name. Amen. with me now as we partake of the fruit of the vine that represents his blood. And likewise, Heavenly Father, of course, we are thankful for the blood that was shed upon that cross. And Father, we're thankful for how it washes our sins away when we come in contact with it. Again, we thank you for that sacrifice, and as we partake of this fruit of the vine, we want to praise you and worship you now. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
For a long time I had verse 13. It was just a few years ago in the dash of my truck, and I know that seems odd, but I had verse 13 in the dash of my truck for a long time. So I want to read verses 12 and 13 as we think about our giving and we move into the next act act of worship that we have, which is giving back to our Lord. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as we give back to our Lord, know that he's working through all that we do. And this specifically is for the congregation here can continue to do us his pleasure and his work. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for just everything that, and, and the list is so, so tremendously long. But at this particular time, we, we thank you for the means that you provide us and the ability to make a living and to earn money and to then use that which is yours to the furthest of your kingdom and to spread your will and your good news throughout this whole world and, and this community and, and everywhere that it can go. Father, we just pray that you'll bless our giving today and that you'll Give the wisdom to those who make decisions about it to, uh, to use it in the appropriate way so your good news can be shared everywhere. We're thankful. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for being here on this beautiful, wet Sunday morning, November the 6th, 2022. We had a total of 281 in services this morning. We have several announcements. Uh, the worship service at Landmark Nursing and Rehab is this afternoon at 4 p.m., the Golden Circle is going to have their monthly lunch this coming Tuesday, November the 8th, in the Annex. Snowdown is having a gospel meeting this week, and we will be sending a bus tomorrow night, Monday night, to that gospel meeting, and the bus will leave at 6.30. So if you want to ride the bus, get here before 6.30. Uh, the food pantry item of the week is canned pasta, if you can help with that. Uh, this past week, we fed Northeast Community College Lady Tigers basketball team and coaches, as well as the Boomble Blue Devils football team. And a huge thank you goes out to Bobby Brazel and Tommy Barragona, for leading the way with this, and a big thank you for all those other folks who helped with it. <coughs> Immediately following the worship service this morning, the Lad to Leaders, Song Leaders, Songs of Praise, 
third grade and up will be having their first workshop session in the tech, and that is immediately following the services this morning. So all first and second year participants need to attend, and anybody with more experience are encouraged to attend that also. And this afternoon at 4.15, the Bible Bowl will meet. So we got a lot of stuff going on today on this very wet Sunday. That is all the announcements I have at this time. Will you please stand for our closing prayer? <coughs> our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do once again thank you for the opportunity that we've had to come out and study your word once again. Lord, we pray that what we've heard this morning, may we apply it to our lives and may as a result, we better serve you. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Forgive us, Lord, wherein we have sinned against you. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.